0: Hey, Praise Chapel Paramount, welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message you're about to listen to is from our midweek service with our very own evangelist, David Diga Hernandez, in such an incredible message that he's entitled, Establishing a Lifestyle of Prayer. Now, if you haven't followed us on Instagram or Facebook, give us a follow at PC Paramount. Also, check out our website at praisechapelparamount.com. It's loaded with information. has tons of updated resources. Check it out. Enjoy this message. Well God bless you this evening. Praise Chapel Paramount. You may be seated. God bless you and welcome. And to those of you watching live online, we here at Praise Chapel Paramount welcome you watching. Can we just welcome the online viewers right now? Uh, Praise Chapel, we're glad that you've joined us. wherever you're watching from, we're here ministering tonight, believing for a move of the Holy Spirit. And tonight I do want to talk to you about prayer. And I want to talk to you about first and foremost how to develop a lifestyle of prayer and then I want to show you uh, some effective keys to prayer so we're gonna begin right now of course I got mr. Stephen Moctezuma with me backing me up here Uh, always great to have my brother with me and I'm happy to be here at my wonderful home church hey pray with pray for us this weekend as we go to uh, Santa Cruz California well Capitola but Capitola is like right by Santa Cruz so pray for us this weekend because we have a service on Halloween night in one of the, how shall we say, one of the witchcraft capitals of the United States. So we're gonna go right into that area. It's very spiritually active there in Santa Cruz. So be in prayer for us and ask the Lord to really uh, give us breakthrough in that region. We're believing that God's going to touch that region and not just that region, but all of California, all of the United States, and we're very excited for what the Lord is going to do there. So I'm excited to minister this word. You know. We talk a lot about prayer, that it's good to pray, the benefits of prayer, hindrances to prayer, the way prayer affects your family, the way prayer affects your mind, the disciplines of prayer, and so forth. But I am going to cover a little bit on the discipline of prayer, but I do want to talk to you about specifically how to establish a lifestyle of prayer. You may have heard all of these amazing messages on prayer and you may have heard of all the wonderful benefits that prayer can bring to your life you may have heard that prayer can help you more clearly hear the voice of the holy spirit that prayer can help you in your character development that prayer can help you understand the word that prayer can help you be a person of worship that prayer can help you break addictions and these are all wonderful things that prayer does indeed do but i want to get into the foundational truths tonight specifically talking about how you can establish a lifestyle of prayer. How many would say that you want God to make you a person of prayer? And I think that it's so key, especially in this season where things Really are requiring our discernment. There's so many opinions, so many things coming at us from so many different directions, and it seems like there's just a roller coaster of events happening all around us that profoundly impact our lives. So it's important to be grounded, to be rooted in prayer. So, before we understand how to develop a lifestyle of prayer, because every sincere believer desires to develop a consistent, effective prayer life. I wanna help you move from that frustration to fruitfulness. But before we can get into the how to's, I wanna talk to you about two different kinds of prayer. All prayer that you will ever pray, whether you are fasting, whether you are participating in spiritual warfare, whether you are interceding for a loved one, whether you are praying in tongues, whether you are asking the Lord to do something in your own nature and heart that you've been battling with, All of these types of prayer break down, really, into two different categories. Now, you won't find these terms that I'm about to give you in the Scripture. The Scripture does not use these terms. But in covering the Scripture, going from Genesis to Revelation, looking for revelation on prayer, I found that all prayer can be found under one of two categories. And that is unceasing prayer and intentional prayer everybody say it with me, unceasing prayer, intentional prayer. One more time, unceasing prayer, intentional prayer. Okay, so unceasing prayer is continual 24-7 awareness of the presence of God. Unceasing prayer can be done in your car on your way to work unceasing prayer can be practiced while you're at school while you're carrying out the errands of the day it can be practiced while you're going to sleep at night exercising that fellowship with the Lord internally as you're falling asleep unceasing prayer can take place while you're getting ready while you're going on a walk while you're working out while you're fellowshipping with friends sharing a meal with family unceasing prayer takes place on a 24 7 basis you can be praying constantly And then there is intentional prayer. Intentional prayer is the setting of a time and a place. It's about atmosphere. Now, unceasing prayer, continual, 24-7 awareness, unceasing prayer is for any atmosphere. Intentional prayer is for a certain atmosphere. Now, here's what I've observed. The undisciplined have trouble with intentional prayer and the structured have trouble with unceasing prayer. The undisciplined find intentional prayer difficult, but those who are are a little more on the disciplined side, they have trouble with that unceasing prayer because they imagine that it's strange. The structured, have trouble with unceasing prayer, the undisciplined, think intentional prayer is unnecessary. They go through their lives thinking, well, I could just talk to God anytime I want. Well, I can just pray right here. Why do I have to show up to church? Why do I have to go to prayer meetings? Why do I have to go and join in corporate bodies? I can talk to God anytime, anywhere. Yes, you can, but that's only one aspect of prayer. And the problem is that the independent Christian has trouble with that intentional prayer because they look at their lives as just something where they're aimlessly wandering through and never really setting aside the discipline to hold fast to this practice. Unceasing prayer is spontaneous. Intentional prayer is scheduled. Both are necessary elements To praying in the Spirit. So let's talk first about unceasing prayer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 17. This is an easy one to memorize. 1 Thessalonians 5 17. Never stop praying. That's what the scripture says. Never stop praying. Now if I'm looking at this with the religious mindset, I can become concerned and I can start thinking, oh my goodness. So if at any moment I stop praying then I'm being disobedient to the Word of God? If at any moment I stop praying, is God going to be angry with me? And you're just constantly thinking that you have to be praying and talking to God. No, that's not at all what the scripture is saying. It's telling us to establish a consistency about the way that we pray. So never stop praying. How do you do this? How do you never stop praying? How do you participate in unceasing prayer? I'll tell you. Unceasing prayer is simply this. A commitment to remain prayerful and mindful of God. This is what's called the practice of the presence of God. It's where I make a commitment to acknowledge God in my mind, to think about Him, to consider Him, to meditate upon what He said, to consider His likes and dislikes, to put that in my mind as often as I possibly can. I want to think about God as often as I can. And this can become a habit. This can become a lifestyle. And you will find that as you commit yourself to thinking about God more often, it actually changes the way that you behave and live. Now, when I first got my license, by the way, it took me like five tries to get my license. I'm not even joking. And then and then the people who were supposed to take me, like, I kid you not, I had certain people that were supposed to take me the day of, let me use their car, the whole thing, each one, each time one didn't show up because they, they slipped back into alcoholism and one went back into drugs I kid you not, so like, it was just like a I was like, nobody helped me with my car apparently there's some spiritual warfare around this it was just one bad thing after another. And I remember just thinking, this is just so odd. It's so difficult. And when I finally did take the test, I caused an accident the first time. But, 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 but listen, listen. I finally got my license, and it was the guy's fault. It wasn't mine. But but the guy I was with, the instructor, he literally said, pull over. And he ran off. He said, if they stop you, that's on you. And he ran away. Um, but anyway, so I got out of there. But anyway, when I finally got my license, I, I... I I have to admit, I probably went higher than the speed limit would allow. I went a little too fast, okay? And I think single guys, you can all back me up here. That's just kind of something we do. In fact, I don't think it's limited to just single guys. I think half of you guys in here probably sped on the way to church and we're late. But, but, but I remember that when I first started to drive, you know, at first I was nervous and then I got comfortable and I would just speed. It's just something I started to do. Sorry, mom, if you're watching, it's the reality. Your son is a criminal. uh, (laughs) Now, But then when I started dating my Jessica, I remember one time (laughs) she gets in the car and I just took off. And like 10 minutes later, she's just staring out the window like mad. I'm like, what did I do? Turns out I just, I should have more smooth. It was like rude, I guess, the way I took off with her in the car. And I learned that I had to drive considering my wife's presence in the car. So I started driving a little more smooth, taking the turns a little less sharply, stopping at the signs and not just rolling. These are the things and the habits that I developed eventually. And so my habits changed. But my driving habits didn't change as dramatically in any other scenario than as the day that I took home my newborn Aria. Yeah, She's screaming all the way in the home. We put her in the car. And man, you, you, I'm telling you, when I got in that car, I was like, okay, it's 40 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour. I'm gonna drive 40 miles an hour. Every stop sign was one, S-T-O-P, and then I would go. My, my, my driving became very, very, very lawful. See, what happened there was, because I was aware of who was in the car with me, it changed the way I drove my car. And some of us in life, we consider God in so few scenarios, and we don't consider Him even during half of our day. We don't slow down the pace of our lives enough to allow for the consideration of His presence. But when you start to become aware and you make it a discipline, a habit, I want to be aware of God, then, then it starts to, to change the way that you talk. It starts to change the way that you treat people with you. It starts to change the way that you begin to interact with people at work, people at school, with people on the road. God, help me. I'm still learning there. But this is the awareness of the presence of God. The awareness of His presence transforms the way that you live. The Bible says in Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Here the scriptures telling us to do something that many people don't realize they're able to do. It says, first of all, don't, pray about, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. It's possible to do that. Unceasing prayer is a constant awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence. When you become aware of the Holy Spirit's constant nearness, every room is a prayer room. When you become aware of the Holy Spirit's constant nearness, every room is a prayer room. Now watch this, Philippians 4.8, just a couple verses down. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, here the scripture is telling us to control what we think about. And I think one of the biggest lies, one of the most consequential lies that we as the collective body have believed is this idea that our thoughts cannot be controlled. Your thoughts are the actions of your mind. Just as you discipline yourself to choose certain actions on a daily basis, so you can discipline yourself to choose different thoughts. And in choosing to discipline myself to practice different habits of thinking, I can also conform the pattern of my mindset to the pattern of the Word. And I can become aware of the presence of God by choice. I can become aware of the presence of God by the decision that I make to say I want to consider Him in as many different scenarios as possible. Do you know how hard it is to be harsh with your spouse when you're aware of the presence of God? Do you know how hard it is to be impatient with your children, when you're aware of the presence of God? Do you know how hard it is to cheat on your taxes, when you're aware of the presence of God? Do you know how hard it is to do time theft at work, when you're aware of the presence of God? Do you know how hard it is to vote twice, even though you got two ballots when you're aware of the presence of God? When you're aware of the presence of God, it transforms the way you live. That's what I'm talking about—that unceasing awareness of who He is, what He's doing. And when you're aware that He's in the room right there with you, you begin to change the channel. I remember, I was I was watching something, and then Aria came in, and I changed it. It wasn't anything like perverted; it was like a like a, a it was just a, like a scary something on TV. And it wasn't necessarily demonic in nature. You know, some people, I remember one time I, I made a sign like this with so my hands will talk. I talk with my hands. I did this once and the, this guy made this whole video on that and how I'm part of the Illuminati because I did that. And I was like, okay, apparently the enemy owns triangles now. So like we can't use triangles for anything. So if you're eating a pizza, God help you. You need deliverance. But, but, but I remember in that moment, so so some people are a little paranoid and a little superstitious, but but in that moment, I remember I was just kind of flipping through, and, and then she walked in, I changed it, and, and the Lord said, if you don't think it's wrong, why don't you want her to see it? Conviction. Conviction. And when you're aware that He's there with you, it will change what you put on your TV. You see, you, you don't even realize some of the time what you're putting into yourself. You, you you probably don't even think twice about it. You would be amazed at how many things you second guess when you start becoming aware of the presence of God. You would be amazed at the things you say or don't say about people in this church, about people in your family when you become aware of the presence of God. See, When we become aware of Him, we become sensitive to His likes and dislikes. It's possible to control these thoughts. If it were not so, the Bible would not command it. When I am mindful of God, please remember this. It's going to sound simple, but this is really the basis of what I am saying here. When I am mindful of God, I am involved with God. When I am mindful of God, I am involved with God. I want to say that one more time because I want you to really receive this. When I am mindful of God, I am involved with God. Prayer doesn't necessarily bring God nearer, but it does make you more aware of his nearness. In the following scriptures, Ephesians 4.30, Ephesians 5.10, and Ephesians 6.18. Again, Ephesians 4.30, Ephesians 5.10, and Ephesians 6.18. In those three verses, we are shown three benefits that we receive when we walk in this awareness of His presence and when we walk in this lifestyle of communication with God. Number one, Ephesians 4.30, it's the joy of the Spirit. You can sense what brings him joy. Now, Ephesians 4.30 tells us to not grieve the Holy Spirit. But here's the truth. If the Holy Spirit loves me enough to be grieved by my disobedience, then he loves me enough to be overjoyed by my obedience. One would not be true without the other. And so because I obey him, I walk in that joy. Now, I'm not talking about sensing His joy. I'm talking about Him sensing joy through you. You can tell when somebody's walking in disobedience because they have no joy. When you lack joy, you have to find the place where you're disobeying God. Because something is out of line. guys, I'm preaching the truth tonight. If you lack joy... There's something out of line. There's something that's been disrupted. Now, I'm not talking about those moments where you experience heartache, but even then, the argument could be made that we should be experiencing the joy of the Holy Spirit. We all get knocked off of that from time to time, and I'm not even saying it's necessarily sin that does it. It can simply be the disruption of a godly mindset, the misplacement of our faith. It can be many different things that cause us to be removed from alignment with God, but when you're removed from alignment with God, the joy becomes disrupted. When you walk in that flow, there's just a joy. There's a joy. There's a peace. It it radiates from you. That's one of the benefits. The second benefit we see from unceasing prayer is the pleasure of the Lord. The scripture tells us to to consider carefully what pleases Him. This is not just you sensing joy because you're walking in alignment with God. This now is you sensing His pleasure over you. Where you can sense Him beaming with joy over the way that you're living. And finally, spiritual alertness. You know, it doesn't take me... People say, how do you prepare for a service? I asked a powerful man of God uh, who since has then has passed away. He was, uh, his name was Ralph Wilkerson. He was the pastor of a church called Maladyland in Anaheim, Britain, Nathaniel. You guys know who he is. And, and me and my wife used to go and see him every couple of weeks. He was uh, For those of you who know who Catherine Coleman was, Ralph Wilkerson was one of the key figures in bringing Catherine Coleman to California and in helping her establish a TV ministry. And so I would sit with Pastor Ralph quite often and I asked him one time and it was always very intimidating. Sometimes he would literally start playing my sermons. Old man, like in his 80s, he would start playing my sermons. What did you mean by that there? And then he said, what are you writing a book on? I said, the Holy Spirit. I said, are you an expert on the Holy Spirit? He's very just to the point, kindest man in the world, but when he's discipling you, it's very just to the point. And I asked him, I said, how do you, how do you, prepare your sermons? Like how did you, because you were constantly week in, week out, just delivering these amazing sermons. And if you go back and look at some of the videos from that, that time, it was just powerful sermons. And it was like every week he was delivering a fresh thought that was uplifting, inspirational, or convicting. And he looked right at me. Didn't even didn't even hesitate. He said, I don't prepare a sermon. I prepare the man. You see, he lived in a readiness to do the will of God. It's very difficult to come into a worship service and start to give your all in worship when you've just been arguing in the car on the way here. And I'm not even condemning people for doing that because we've all been there. It's very difficult to lead a Bible study or pray for someone or witness to someone when you've just been lost and wrapped up in your own emotions and negativity. Why? Because you have to pull yourself out of that to flow into the spiritual flow. But when you pray with unceasing prayer, you live in a constant readiness so that you can go from just talking to your friends to right on to where God needs you. Why? Because you're just aware. People ask me, well, well, because they've seen us, right? They've seen us minister. Sometimes the, the pastors will take me and Steve and the team out. We'll be out all day. They'll take us to go see the Redwoods or the, you know, the, whatever the site is in each city. People, whenever we get to a city, they're like, oh, you gotta see this. I'm like, no, I don't. Uh, buildings and trees, it's all the same. Uh, but, but, but sometimes I'll go out and uh, out of my, my shell, I'll go and I'll just kind of spend some time with them. And then we'll get right to the service and then it'll start flowing. And they ask me, how do you do that? We were just at the mall laughing, talking, and you stepped right on the platform and just turned into this different person. I told him, even when we're at the mall, somewhere back here, somewhere right here, I'm, I'm just in fellowship with him, thinking about him, spending time with him. I t- I, the, the, the the early church fathers called it retreating into yourself, where where you kind of just withdraw and go inward and just check in on the Lord, check in with him, and then go back to what you're doing. Now, this may sound like Super spiritual stuff It's really simple It's about the thought process And so you can be A genuinely spiritual believer In this manner By simply committing To thinking about the Lord On a constant basis And allowing that thought Of Him To cause you To talk to Him And let Him speak to you Are you guys receiving this so far? So that's unceasing prayer That's how you practice that Now if you do that Your day's gonna be filled with prayer and your day's gonna be filled with moments where God moves because now you're in a spiritual state and and even if you step a little into the flesh because you're aware of him, you get back into the spirit. You step a little out of line, the Holy Spirit convicts you. You say, sorry about that, sorry about that. And you stay right on where you're supposed to be. Now, when you do that, you're ready to go. Now, let me show you where more believers have a challenge with. So that's unceasing prayer. You do that, you're going to be praying more often. You're going to be more aware. If you just do that, it's going to change your life. It will transform your life if you make that commitment to thinking about Him constantly. The second, the second is intentional prayer. Remember this? The strength of your spirit life is directly proportionate to the consistency of your prayer life. The strength of your spirit life is directly proportionate to the consistency of your prayer life. What we fail to realize about prayer is that there is a ceremony to it. There's a ceremony to prayer. Now, people don't like to talk about this because some people are real freaked out about other religions. Now, they don't scare me because I know we serve the one true God. people get a little weird about it, but you realize there are some sacraments involved in the Christian faith. Water baptism, it's a ceremony. Communion, it's a ceremony. Prayer is a ceremony. It's the setting of the atmosphere, the closing yourself off from distraction so that you can connect with God. So intentional prayer is great. Now here's the reality. Intentional prayer will produce longevity. But here's the thing. I've known a lot of Christians who've been in this for a long time, but they remain in the same spot. Intentional prayer will preserve you. I'm sorry. Unceasing prayer will preserve you. That constant awareness. It causes you to stay long-term with it. Unceasing prayer preserves you. Intentional prayer grows you. Unceasing prayer produces longevity, but only intentional prayer can produce depth. Matthew chapter six, verses five through six says this. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Jesus is talking about shutting yourself in, setting that place, because prayer is more than just thinking about God. It's also setting aside the time to focus on Him. You must, you must, you must, you must establish a time to pray. You have to do it. We have to stop falling back on this excuse of, well, I talk to God all throughout the day, so I don't need to set aside the time. You are robbing yourself spiritually if you do not set a time and a place. You're settling. You wanna know the difference between a Christian who's seriously in this and a Christian who's not? Look at their prayer life. Now here's the problem. I cannot lay hands on you and impart discipline for prayer. I can't tell you how many times people come to me, Brother David, could you you pray for me? Yes, of course. What are we praying? Healing. We're praying a broken addiction. We're praying for encouragement. What? Pray that I would obey God. You want me to lay hands on you and suddenly you're going to obey God? Doesn't work that way. God gave each individual the exercise of free will. Here's a crazy thought for today. This is just a, I'm gonna say something, and it's so basic, yet it's so crazy for today's world. Do you realize that that God, yes, God does in fact hold you individually accountable for your actions? You realize God holds you accountable for your actions and there are consequences to your choices? I think we forget that. We kind of think it all comes out in the wash because of the grace of God. And it can if you get things right. But do you realize that if you, you persist down a path, there are consequences to your actions and God will hold you accountable. In fact, God holds you responsible for the decisions that you make. What a crazy thought these days. That I'm accountable for my own actions. That there are consequences to what I do. This is the discipline of prayer that must be established in our lives. Now, Jesus practiced prayer in this way. Think about this. Mark chapter one, verse 35. You can just listen, it's a quick reference or you can write it down. Mark 1, 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. You know, Jesus did pray in public. We see him blessing the food. We see him praying over people. We see him calling forth Lazarus. He prays to God in public. But then we also see him setting that time aside to go and pray privately. Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Only those without God's presence have to chase atmospheres. Only those with God's presence can cultivate them. And I have the presence of God in a prayer life. I'm establishing. Do you realize that I may be going too deep tonight, but I'm, I'm just going to say it anyway. Do you realize there's a tangible touch to the presence and power of God? That when you're praying in your home, and you have that spot where you pray, that you're opening a portal to heaven in your house? See this, this? This might be this might be a little too deep for some of us, but 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 and I don't say that in a condescending way. Some people just go portal. What are you talking about? A portal is simply a door. It's a door. Do you realize that when you pray, you're you're actually now I'm not saying there's power on a substance or on a water bottle or on on something like like that, but but there's something in the spirit. I can't quite explain it. That when you begin to establish that place of prayer, you're, you're, you're creating a portal. See, when I go and I'm I'm doing my unceasing prayer, people could talk to me like, like normal. But then there are times where I'll go and I'll retreat for two, three hours before a service and just dig in. Sometimes that's necessary, sometimes it's not, because you have to live in preparation, as I said. But but when I do that, there's a difference. People can feel it on you. They sense it. Do you know that when you do that kind of deep prayer, you'll come out of that room? I'm serious, guys. You'll go into that place of prayer, you'll come out of that room, and then you'll look at your, your family member, and you'll see things. You'll start to discern. There are times I, I won't even know I'm doing it. I come out of prayer, and I'll answer somebody. You guys can think what you want of this. I'll answer, some, someone will ask me something, I'll answer somebody, and they'll say, how'd you know what I was thinking? I said, didn't you say that out loud? They say no. Depth. Now that may sound, I'm telling you, there's a different realm, guys. We believe in the supernatural. And when you, you you can settle for just that, oh Lord, I love you, I'm aware of you. And that'll change the way you live. That'll preserve your Christian life. That'll help you keep going. But you want to go deeper. It's intentional prayer. <laughs> intentional prayer. Now, how do we pray intentionally? I'm going to give you three keys in seven and a half minutes. Are you ready? Number one focus. If prayer is to be effective, it must be focused. The wandering mind keeps the believer bound to the natural realm. The excess of distracting thoughts is too heavy to allow for heavenly ascension. When I pray, I'm ascending. Now, the way you focus is, as I said, establishing that atmosphere. There's a lot more to go into here, but I want to just give you the, the quick um, the, the review, the overall. Focus establishes your prayer life. When I set aside a time and a place, and, and I tell people not to disturb me, when I let nobody touch that prayer time, I'm digging something very deep there. And in that place, you experience the supernatural. In that place, you have angelic visitations. In that place, you witness miracles, and you hear things from God, and you receive breakthrough, and God gives you answers to questions that are troubling you. You realize that there's perfect clarity in that place. Perfect clarity. I've never got, I'll tell you this right now, and I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this to inspire you, that you might say, oh, I want to go there. I've never once, when I'm in that place, experienced confusion. Never once in that place, that secret place, have I ever gone, oh, Lord, is that you? Not once. When I get there, I know what he's saying. And I can come out of that place of prayer with the answer. If I I, I see an issue with an individual, I see an issue in the ministry, I see an issue with anything going on in my life, I go to the secret place, find out what's going on, and then I come back with the answer. That's what secret place prayer does. That's what intentional prayer does. Number one is focus. That is the setting of the atmosphere through silence and stillness, through giving your request to God so that you might be filled with His peace, and through worship. Number two is faith. Faith is how you approach God. You don't enter the glory through noisy desperation. You enter the glory through faith-filled confidence. And I touched on this a little bit when I ministered the last Wednesday that I ministered here. There there is this approach to God that some believers take, and it's coming from this very antsy, very paranoid, very, very, um, how shall I say, emotionally charged place when we need to approach with just perfect faith. You know, I was telling uh, some of the guys who were at my house last night, I said, you know, if I have a prayer line and I have a dozen people in front of me who all want healing, the ones who have their hands lifted like this, eyes closed, tears streaming on their face, they're just experiencing God's presence, they usually get healed. You know who doesn't get healed? These people. Why? Because they're, they're, they're so, I have, to touch, I have to touch David. I have, I have, to, I have to get to, they're, they're paranoid. They're not coming from faith. They're coming from fear. So when you approach God in prayer, why don't you stop doubting that, that he hears you? Why don't you stop doubting that you're forgiven? Why don't you stop doubting that you have access to God? You don't have to work for that connection. You don't have to work for him to hear you. You don't have to work to establish this relationship. Oh, I sinned, so I got to work for it. No. You know, the moment you go to pray, you have access. The moment you go to pray, he hears you, and you can hear him. If you'll just have the faith to enter. So number one, focus. Number two, faith. And these are keys to intentional prayer. Number three, faithfulness. As I said, faithfulness. As I said, I can't lay hands on you and impart discipline. Every sincere believer wants to pray consistently, and I know I've been there. You want to start praying consistently. You begin your prayer life. you, you look around like, "Oh my goodness, I, I went three days. Every day I pray for at least 20 minutes and it, and it gets encouraging. And then what begins to happen is whereas it was this relationship with God, it starts to become a little box that you check off. And then what ends up happening inevitably, and I don't mean to sound negative. I don't mean to discourage you. I'm just being real with you. When you first start to establish a prayer life, you're gonna miss some days and you're gonna feel really guilty about it. It's If it matters to you, you're gonna feel bad. It's, it's like, Lord I I, I promised you and then here's the issue you go into the prayer the next day with yesterday's missed prayer session on your mind so now you just feel bad yesterday I skipped it and we imagine that God's going hmm welcome back look who decided to show up that's how we picture God when we go to pray when, when, but think about, but think about the, the, the the prodigal son when he comes with his speech, ready, Lord God, Father, I've sinned and I don't deserve to be your son. I'll just be your servant. He didn't even listen to him. In fact, when he saw him approaching, what does he do? He runs from afar off and he embraces him. So when you go to prayer... You need to recognize that's how God is, and you need to keep that image in your mind of God, that when you go to pray, He's not judging you going, hmm, well, you did three days in a row, but it looks like you missed day four, and now today you're going to have to work for it. No, no, what does He do? He runs to you and embraces you. And and knowing this helps with faithfulness, knowing that you're not having to work to cover yesterday's mistakes, knowing that there's not some distance that you created because you missed a day, a week, a month, or even a year of prayer. Here's the great thing about God, is that no matter how far you've gone from Him, a single moment of repentance can cover the entire distance. In fact, guilt, shame, and self-criticism are counterproductive. They're unnecessary distractions when it comes to establishing a lifestyle of prayer. And they can prevent you from establishing that lifestyle of prayer. Because now all you're doing is judging yourself for what you missed instead of thanking God for the opportunity that you have to come to Him today. The discouragement that comes from missing days of prayer, listen to this. This is from my new book. The discouragement that comes from missing days of prayer weakens the desire to even try. Make the decision. Arrange the time, the schedule, the workflow. Drop commitments, sacrifice hobbies. Do what you can to make it work. How do you begin prayer? You simply begin. There's no secret. There's no special formula. You can't come to the altar, get goosebumps and go home. Suddenly you're gonna be this prayer warrior. In order to begin a lifestyle of prayer, you simply have to begin. It's your choice. It's your decision. The only way to pray faithfully is to choose to pray faithfully, consistently, day in, day out. And this is how we establish ourselves in the face So those two things. Unceasing prayer, intentional prayer. Unceasing prayer is found when I commit my mind to the things of God. I commit my mind to his presence, his likes, his dislikes. It benefits me in that I can sense his joy. I can sense the pleasure of the Lord. I have a spiritual alertness. And when I practice... Intentional prayer, the keys to that are faith, focus, and faithfulness. When I practice these things, I've just established a prayer life. You do these things, practice them daily, and I promise you this. If you put these into practice within the next month, you'll be a consistent person of prayer. So if you're being dealt with in any of these areas, you watching live, I want to pray with you first. You're being dealt with in any of these areas... I'll tell you this, conviction draws you to God. Guilt pushes you away in shame. Conviction says, I have to get this right. Guilt says, I did so much wrong. Guilt says you are the mistake. Conviction says you've made a mistake. And conviction is what pulls you toward the presence of God when you've done wrong. So you're watching this right now. And you can you can sense in your heart that the Holy Spirit is convicting you and you know you have not been practicing these things maybe some of the chaos of this recent season has caused you to be knocked off the foundation of prayer but now it's time to step back on the foundation allow God to restore you accept his forgiveness and then move on in faith father in Jesus name I pray for that one watching now who's believing for your touch and who needs this fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Father, empower them, bless them, I pray, and cause them to be people of prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And I want you to say it because you believe it. Say amen. I'm gonna dismiss. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you wanna stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount. Or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.